Hello, and welcome back to the Come, Follow Me Bible Challenge, reading from the Old Testament in the year 2022. There's a lot for you to see and learn and study in the Old Testament, and I'm excited that you're studying it. If you're a Latter-day Saint, there's just so much to see. And so um, let's consider Genesis 3. Genesis chapters 3 and 4 are the passages you're going to be studying for Sunday, uh, January 17th. And so um, let us look at it from the Word of God. I uh, will do this maneuver, make my window small. I just got done recording the first lesson, so now let's head on over to Genesis chapter 3. Now I'm going to say a couple things that are a little shocking. Uh, the first one is, I don't believe as a Christian pastor that I have true agreement with any Latter-day Saint on any verse of the Bible. I know that if you're a Latter-day Saint hearing that, that can sound a little abrasive, but I don't, I don't want that to be abrasive to you. I don't want it to like offend you unnecessarily, but I do believe that's the case. Um, I believe that we have some irreconcilable differences. If, if you just consider... Uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We define Jesus so radically differently that I don't think we could actually agree on that verse. And so as we go through this study, I just want you to know that it's my perspective that we just have some major disagreements. And all I want you to, to know is here's the Christian pastor from a Bible church's perspective on these things to help you think, to challenge you. And perhaps if you're being a good student and you're studying through this, getting ready for your Sunday school class this coming Sunday. This can help you bring some conversation topics to the class, and you can ask your teacher. You can chat with your fellow students about these things. So that's the first thing I wanted to mention is that I don't, I don't think we agree on any verse in the Bible. I also want to mention that if you don't understand Genesis 3, nothing else was go is going to make sense in the Bible. If you lose Genesis 3, you lose everything. So super critical. We're, I'm not going to even talk about Genesis 4 which is important all on its own, talking about Cain and Abel. But in this episode, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to focus on Genesis 3, okay? And to understand uh, Genesis 3, we have to understand Genesis 1 and 2, which I hope my last video helped. And from an LDS perspective especially, there are things that we need to check out in Genesis 1 and 2 before we go into chapter 3 because of a certain teaching that I want to start off by, by challenging, okay? In the last video, we left off on Genesis 1, 26 and 27, talking about being made in the image of God, and uh, he made them male and female. In verse 28, God blessed them, it says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Have babies. Fill the earth. Have lots of babies. <laughs> and subdue it. Exercise dominion that comes with the image of God. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? Well, this command to have babies, be fruitful and multiply. You see some cross-references highlighted there on the right-hand side in that window pane. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that's their commission. As soon as they're made, God says, go do that. Were they able to obey that command then and there? Yes. Yes, they were. Uh, God is giving them this command for them to obey. 
Well, let's go down to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Genesis two sixteen. It says, For the Lord God commanded the man, okay, gave him a command, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, or you shall not eat from it literally, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The second thing that they were told is don't eat of that one particular tree. So if you're thinking, what did Adam and Eve believe? If they made a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith, what would be the comprehensive list? Number one, have babies. Number two, don't eat from that one tree over there. You can eat from all the other trees freely, but that one tree don't eat. Were they able to obey this second command? Well, in a sense, yes. In another sense, no, because we know what happens in the story, right? They weren't able to live forever in a state of perfection. But were they able to obey these two commands in the state God created them in? He issued them commands. Were they able to obey them simultaneously? Yes. Yes. They were able to be fruitful and multiply, to have babies, and they were able to eat from every tree freely except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you come to Genesis chapter 3 with the understanding that no, they could not do both, they had to disobey God in order to be fruitful and multiply and everything else, that's a misunderstanding of the Bible because the Bible just doesn't present that. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that at all. God gave them good commands that they were able to obey in their created state, which was also good according to God's own words. They were good in the state that they were created. So that's important to, to recognize. Now, in Genesis 3, we see the serpent come along. There's our word for serpent, nakash. Nakash, serpent. He was more crafty than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, a talking snake, very interesting. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said. Now stop. Anytime someone says, has God said, and starts to challenge the word of God, you know to put up your defenses because God will not be mocked and Lying about the word of God is such a grievous sin. The serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Hmm. Hmm. Or every tree of the garden? Well, that's an interesting way to phrase God's command. The woman replies, verse 2, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but... From the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. All right. That's correct. Good job, Eve. Or touch it. Wait a second. Wait a second. God never said don't touch it. This is Eve inserting, uh, adding to the command of God. That's a no-no. It may seem small or insignificant to you, but this is the word of God we're talking about. If anyone's word should be preserved, it should be God's, right? She says, 
you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Now, that consequence, of course, is true. There's our word for die. It's the word mut. Don't think of your mangy dog. It's probably moot or something in Hebrew. Again, I'm not a Hebrew expert. I know a lot more about Greek than Hebrew, but here we are. The serpent said to the woman, verse 4, You surely will not die. Ooh, he's just twisting the word of God, and he's, he's going against what God has said. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what did the woman do? Well, she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So what did she do? She took from it, she took from its fruit, and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now, wouldn't you expect, knowing the warning of God, and the day you shall eat of it, you will surely die, wouldn't you expect verse 7 to say, and then they died? <laughs> See how verse 6 ends? Uh, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, and then they died. The Bible's finished. <laughs> the Bible was two chapters and seven additional verses, right? That, that, that should be the end. Well, they didn't physically die in that day, did they? They continued on, which is very interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, the woman was deceived. And Adam, her husband, listened to her, and so curses now come upon them. They have this interaction with God, you can read about. And we get down to verse 14, and God curses the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle. On, the belly, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity or animosity between you and the woman, between your seed Notice over here on the right-hand side, seed is singular. It says sing for short, S-I-N-G, singular. I will put animosity between your seed and her seed. Wow, that's fascinating. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You could also say crush. He will crush your head, and you shall bruise him on the the heel. Same word, bruise, there, or crush. So uh, here we have something very interesting. There's animosity that's going to be placed between the seed or the offspring of the serpent, singular, and the offspring of the woman, singular. Wow. Um, notice that it's her seed, not his seed, not Adam's seed, but Eve's seed, there's going to be animosity or tension or however you want to phrase it between Satan and his offspring and the woman and her singular seed, offspring. And what's her offspring going to do? He, so now we're really emphasizing there's just one, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. He's not going to go after the seed of the serpent. He's going to go after the serpent himself. He shall bruise you 
or crush you on the head, a fatal blow, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Painful, yes, but not fatal. This is talking about Jesus. Isn't this amazing? This is talking about Jesus. There is one coming from the woman who is going to crush Satan. Though he will be stricken, smitten, and afflicted, you could say, Isaiah 53, he will not be crushed by Satan. In fact, he's going to be the one who crushes Satan. Wow, that's really interesting. Very important for you to to grasp that. Now the woman, he doesn't curse the woman, but he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain. You will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Adam, he doesn't curse either. But he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground because you because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Okay, very, very interesting. Now, let's go back to this dying stuff. They, they didn't die when they partook of the fruit, but uh, they were cursed. What do we make of this stuff? Well, there was an immediate death, and that immediate death was not physical, but spiritual. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, you see that here. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, we just read about it, through one man. He's talking about Adam, original sin. This is the first instance of sin in Genesis 3. Through one man, sin entered, okay, it came in to the world, all mankind. What followed? Well, it says right here, death. Death through sin. Death came through sin. It wasn't that God wasn't sure about what would happen, and so he said, hey, don't eat of that fruit. I'm going to warn you, you're going to die. And he wasn't sure if they were really going to die. When he said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, it was true. Death came through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, there, of course, is a physical aspect to the death that comes through sin. Uh, You should know that people die, right? People have died from Adam on. Adam wasn't going to die in his original innocent state, but because of sin, there was a physical death that he incurred and everybody else. Yet there was something spiritual that happened. When Adam partook of the fruit, there was a spiritual falling that occurred. You could even say a spiritual death. So let's go back and look at Romans 5 a little more. Let's jump down to um, verse 15. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. The transgression of the one, transgression, talking about sin again, or you know, a trespass. By the one, Adam, many died. All people, because of Adam's sin, all people now are, are dead in, in a spiritual sense. They're born spiritually dead. Let's go down to verse 16. 
it says, the judgment arose from one transgression, talking about Adam's sin, resulting in condemnation. So not only death, but condemnation. For if, verse, verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, Adam, death is reigning now. That's the word, similar word where we get kingdom. Death is king among human beings because of sin in our natural state. Verse 18, through one transgression, Adam, there resulted in condemnation to all men. Condemnation, there's our word again. Verse 19, through the one man's disobedience, Adam again, many were made sinners. Many were made sinners. Dead, condemned sinners. One more thing I want to show you, Ephesians 2. Talking to Christians, in their past state, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and and sins. You were dead by reason of your trespasses and sins. There is a very real dead state for all people who are born into this world because of Adam's one sin. Wow. Wow. That's the death they instantly died, and the physical death came later. Back to Genesis 3. One more thing. Genesis 3.21. Look what happens. After God curses the serpent, curses the ground, issues discipline for all men and women of all time, it says in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It's easy to forget about that part of the story a lot of times. God made these garments, and he covered physically Adam and Eve at the end of Genesis chapter 3. Why did God do that? Why did God God cover them? Well, there is one sense in which their innocence was gone. He's covering their nakedness. But in another sense, it's a very strong foreshadowing of the covering that we need spiritually. We need to be covered. Uh, Think of these skins, because it doesn't say plants that God covered them with in Genesis 3.21. It says he made garments of skin. What is required to get garments of skin? Well, you got to kill something. An animal has to die, and the skin has to be removed. This is the first sacrifice made in the Bible. God is the one who makes the first sacrifice in the Bible. And why is he doing that? Well, that's what sin demands. Sin demands that someone die. And in Adam and Eve's case, they suffered an immediate spiritual death, yet they also received the substitutionary death of some animal whose skin was then removed and placed onto them to cover their wickedness to cover up their guilt and their shame being naked. I want to tell you the connection here to the New Testament. In Romans 5, you may have noticed in all those verses we we were looking at, there's something else that follows up talking about Adam's sin each time. Through the one man's transgression, many died. Through his transgression, we're condemned. Well, there's a free gift from Jesus Christ 
that results in life as opposed to death, that results in righteousness as opposed to condemnation, that results in, in being counted righteous individually as opposed to being considered sinners. There's a free gift that gets applied to some people, not all people, but some people, because of his sacrificial work. Because of our state, our natural state, where we are dead in sin, remember Romans 5, Ephesians 2, we're dead in sin. Because of that, Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserve in our place for our sins. That when we believe in his finished work, trusting that he paid the price and he rose again, that if we rest in his finished work alone, not adding to it, not taking away from it, but resting in what he has done, that we are now covered by the righteousness of Christ. He is our substitution that covers the guilt and the shame that we have incurred through our own sin. Isn't this a beautiful picture? How God is totally in control of the storyline of the world. How even in just this tiny little mention in Genesis 3, verse 21, we get a foretaste of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins, that we may be covered in his righteousness, clothed, dressed in his garments to stand before the eternal holy God, to be accepted in his presence once for all, now and forever. Isn't that glorious? Well, I hope that gives you something to think about. Hope that gives you something you can take to your Sunday school class, ask your teacher about, chat with the other students about. That's what these videos are for. I want to make these videos shorter, but Genesis, it's really hard to do that. So sorry for the length of these videos. Um, or if you're listening on audio, sorry. But uh, if you have any questions, contact us. No questions off the table. You can send us an email. You can come visit, do whatever you, you would like to do. We want to help you answer your questions from the Word of God. Again, ask anything. We're here to serve you. God bless.